Marsha Rosenberg is our guest tonight, and he's developed a model over a lot of years, working in a lot of different settings with a lot of different kinds of people. It's a pretty simple model to understand, and it's a pretty hard model to do, I find, personally. So I like to have opportunities to get a lot of practice. And tonight, we'll, we will have practice, and maybe even use some of the examples from your own lives. And you can raise the questions that you might be thinking about as we go through the evening. Thanks, Kathleen. Good evening, everybody. When I saw this title for this evening, uh, Resolving Conflicts with Children, I was thinking back to a situation about 20 years ago in San Francisco, the panic that they had in this one school. They wanted to have me demonstrate how the process of communication that I teach can be used to resolve fights between students. And they went to a large amount of trouble on this one day to get the educational television uh, station to send a television truck out there to film me helping kids resolve fights. And everybody was scared that day, even though we picked the school to do this with that had the most violence of any school. Everybody was afraid, what happens if today there's no fights? And then I remembered at one time during the day, because the teachers were all instructed, if there's a fight between two people, bring them up to this man and he'll resolve it on television. And, and at one time I looked up and they were about nine deep waiting for me to do so. There was no problem. But then I thought, what would happen tonight if no one had any conflicts with children? What would we talk about? So. I sure hope that uh, not all of you have uh, resolved all of your conflicts uh, with children because uh, if that's a subject that I'd like very much to talk about, but as those of you who have been with me before know, I'd prefer to deal with real situations than to uh, throw a lot of theory at you that might not be too helpful. So I'm hoping that some people have some real live issues about uh, resolving conflicts with children. And if you give me the situations, I'll do my best uh, to tell you about this process of communication uh, that I teach and how it applies to conflict resolution, regardless of with whom. If you're interested tonight in it with children, I'll be glad to show you how it works with children. But I hope I can show you the process clearly enough uh, so that you can see how it can apply you're resolving conflicts at any level. Conflicts within yourself, conflicts in your relationships with other adults, political conflicts. So I'll be talking tonight then about, we'll focus our attention on resolving conflicts with children, but we'll keep in mind how the same process might be applied at any level. So let me uh, start by just telling you everything I know about resolving conflicts with children in three sentences. And then we can, then you'll know, you know everything I know about the subject, so uh, then we can go on to real situations and figuring out what to do. Because it's easy to talk about resolving conflicts with children or anybody. I've learned three things work every time. You see, Once I do these three things, I have no problem resolving conflicts with anything. So, number one, if I want to resolve my conflicts with children, translate all of my value judgments 
into the language of giraffe. Translate all of my value judgments into the language of giraffe. That is, the things that are the most important for me to resolve with my children. Those values which I hold the most dear. That it really means something to me that we resolve our conflicts in these issues. Translate all of my most precious value judgments into the language of giraffe. Number two, to respect the life in the child's no. Respect the life in the child's no. So in other words, I've presented my value judgments to a child of mine. I want them to do something very badly. This is a big value of mine. And now they say that word that throws so many of us into total panic. No. See, it's amazing how such a short word can create such, such enormous pain. Uh, can send grown people into paroxysms of fear. Well, what, if I, what, what, what if I ask for it and, 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 and they say no? Oh, that word just panics so many people. So, but if we can learn to respect the life in the no, uh, that's been very helpful for me, whether the no is said by children or by adults, but that's another issue. And third, abstain at all times from any ecologically unsafe influence strategy. Abstain at all times from ecologically unsound influence strategies, particularly strategy A, fear induction through the threat of punishment. Uh, you see, if I really want to resolve conflicts with other people, they must know that it is abhorrent to me, totally against my religion, ever to use punishment to get what I want. Number two, total abstention from guilt-inducing tactics. Especially that old favorite, it hurts me when you do that. No more blaming of other people for one's suffering in the process of trying to influence through enough guilt that the other person will give in. Third, any shame-inducing tactics. Both verbally and at a cognitive thought level. This means to abstain at all times from any words which categorize behavior. To, to let the other person know, I have no words in my consciousness for evaluating whether your position is right, wrong, good, bad, normal, abnormal, appropriate, inappropriate. Then I take away all my efforts to, be, to try to influence people through shaming them, to claim what's wrong with them, to get them to change, because I've, I've convinced them how terrible they are. So when people know that I am totally abhorrent, my religion forbids the use of any of these ecologically unsound strategies. See, these are ecologically unsound strategies, because even if you get what you want from another person using any of those strategies, you create an environment for yourself which is highly toxic. 
Punishment is a highly toxic form of influencing human beings. Even if you get what you want, you pay dearly for it. You poison the environment because you communicate that you are a predator, prepared to make people suffer if they don't give you what they want, what you want. So that always creates an ecologically unsafe environment. So now I've told you everything I know. <laughs> and, and then I'm scared. What happens if you have no questions or no real conflicts to see how all of this fits with? What do we do? So, uh, I've told you all I know about resolving conflicts. Now, what else can I tell you? Yeah. So you're saying that somebody says they're not going to do it and they don't do it. Well, I would have guessed that when you told me that you had a rule. <laughs> I would expect any decent human being, an American especially, I uh, would certainly, after, the, after what we learned from our forefathers and mothers about throwing the tea into the harbor, no, no rule is worth a damn if we didn't set it ourselves. Isn't that what we were throwing the tea in the harbor for? They were telling us what the rules were going to be, how much tax we had to pay on this and that. And we said, you're not our mother. And we said, we'll make our own decision. So I would expect a conflict any time one human being sets a rule for another human being. <coughs> then the only thing I can recommend is invest in a large police force. Because when rules are established by people other than those upon whom the rules are formed, you usually must have a rather large police force to enforce them. So the first thing I would recommend to make all our lives simpler, consensual rule setting. Consensual. Actually, there probably is no real thing about a rule. It doesn't mean anything anyway if people don't really consent to it. But consensual rule. The yeah, question is, question is, shouldn't you give people reasons for rules? No, what I'm saying is, as a parent, I would never give a rule. As a parent, I would give a request for a rule and give my reason. But when I say consensual rule setting, this means that it's not a rule until everybody agrees to it. It's not that I say it's a rule, it's consensus. This is not easy to get across to people sometimes. See, I tried to get this across in Springfield, Ohio one time. I was talking to a group of uh, larger than this at a PTA meeting, and uh, I was trying to explain what I mean about consensual rules, you see, and I was telling about a conflict we once had in our family about this profound subject of bed-making. We, we have several <laughs> political differences in our family in relation to bed-making, and... Uh, on the far right, 
uh, is my wife, uh, who believes that the rule for bed making was made in heaven, that one should make one's bed immediately upon arising. Uh, and on the far left uh, are my sons and myself, uh, who kind of start from the premise, why make it when you know you're going to mess it up again the same day? Uh, so. So we have rather divergent political opinions now. How do we decide about how to deal with this? So we did some respectful exchange of our positions, and then my oldest son said, well, wait a minute. He says, it's our room, right? We'll close the door, then we can do whatever we want with the bed, and then mom isn't upset. But I knew that wouldn't work, because my wife has x-ray vision. <laughs> she can tell whether a bed is made even through a brick wall, you see. She wasn't too happy with that. But anyway, this is, I don't want to take a lot of our time to tell this story, but to show you what I mean about consensual rule setting, eventually my daughter, then aged about six, said, well, it's like when daddy goes on the road and he, he pays for a hotel room and, and it costs a lot of money to get all the clean sheets and the blankets and everything. I noticed everybody else seemed to understand that logic but me. So I asked, I said, I don't understand. And she says, well, it's like if you don't make the bed, that's like the payment. You don't get to sleep in it. And I noticed everybody else seemed to see the logic in this. Uh, and I said, wait a minute, isn't that going to be a punishment? Because, see, I've made very clear in my family long ago, I don't want to be in the punishment business. I, I was not cut out to be a hench person. It's just never, never been in my blood to want to be one of those. So... Uh, if there is to be a penalty or something, then I want to be sure that nobody sees it as punitive, that everybody sees the consequence and why we're having it. And everybody seemed to agree, yeah, this was like if you pay by making the bed, you get to have a nice service, clean sheets, blankets, a room. If you don't, no hard feelings, mom will make the bed or dad will make the bed, but then you don't sleep in it. And it worked wonderfully. Then we, we everybody, everybody won, you see, everybody won. So mom got the, the beds made every day, and my daughter, who was making it already, continued to make it. My youngest son developed a habit then he still has. He slides out of bed in the morning, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so the system worked very well. But now, what appears in the paper after I said this in Springfield? It said, psychologist says if your child doesn't make the bed, don't let him sleep in it. <laughs> You see, this is because the concept of consensus is so new to people anywhere, even at work or anywhere. Very few people tell me they work in a setting where they're trusted enough to consensually take part in rule setting. And of course, this is one of the, the big problems at the international level, too, is always who gets to take charge in setting up the rules. We always seem to have somebody who claims to be closer to God than somebody else and who has the right to decide that's what I call a jackal concept of social order, you see. Somebody claims to know what's right, or they claim to know what's moral, and usually they say because of a title they have, like, I am the father, or I'm a doctor. One time I tried that with my oldest son. I said, I think I know better than you. I have a PhD. He said, what does that stand for, FUD? <laughs> so much for titles, you see. Uh, but this divine rights game, you see, that's been around for a long time. You get one person who claims to know what's right, and then the whole game is to punish those who don't do what's right. 
So, uh, to get across the idea of mutually, consensually established rules, where there's no punishment, no, no intent to punish, but if this behavior inconveniences people and we want to have a penalty to remind somebody, fine, as long as the people who are upon whom the rule is imposed establish the rule. Now, that's neither permissiveness, where you just let the children do whatever they want, but nor is it kind of jackal control where somebody claims it because I am the father, I am the mother, I know what's right, I'm older than you. That concept of social order has been tried for several centuries. It seems to me it leads to nothing but violence. Because then every time somebody claims that they're the top snitch, then they seem to feel that they're prepared to punish others for their own good. It's a dangerous game, you see, to start with this assumption that somebody because of a title knows what's right and has the power to make others suffer if they don't do it. I, I personally feel that's the core of violence. That to wherever you have that being taught, that because of one's title or knowledge, I have a right to impose what I know is good for you on you, for your own good, or to protect society. Once you buy that basic assumption, then, then it goes from there. How do you translate your value judgments into giraffe? First, let's see how a value judgment is expressed in jackal. One, one must. One must. See, this is a, if I want to be sure to turn people off to something I want them to do, I will begin it with one must. Or you should. And if I really want to be sure not to get what I want in life, I tell the other person, you have to. <laughs> so anytime I use the word should, ought, must, that's a conflict resolution suicide. At the moment, <laughs> at the moment that, I, that I bring those words into it, I am asking for a fight. So. Have you ever used any of those words? Have any of those words ever come out of your mouth <laughs> in your history with your daughter? Um, not those. I was saying that I really, I need it, that I feel good about it. Oh, no, that's another possible jackal we'll check out in a moment. Uh, but no, so far I didn't hear any of those jackals. Now, I'm talking about any jackal that implies that your way is right. Like, do you even think your way is right, normal, appropriate, you don't even have to say out loud then what you want. If you think you're right, the chance that you'll get what you want is not very good. <laughs> oh yes, because when we think, you see, we're thinking we're right, then we have jackal eyes. <laughs> you don't have to say it out loud. If another person expresses something to you and you think they're wrong, selfish, irresponsible, come on, don't we know that that's going on even when the person smiles? No, we know, we know a jackal eyes when we see them. We've been up against enough of them. So, if that's how a jackal says value judgments. You should, you have to, one must. You can't do that. That's wrong. That's sick. That's inappropriate. How sad that jackals have been taught to express their value judgments in such a suicidal way. And when you try to tell a jackal about that, then what do they say? 
Oh, so you're saying I shouldn't have any values at all. Well, I don't believe in that permissiveness. Because jackals think of these two possibilities. I must have all the power to force other people to behave. Or the other option they think of is permissiveness, giving up power and just giving in and letting the children take over. You see. So how do we express our value judgments in giraffe? I would like, if you're willing. But please don't do it unless you're willing, because we'll both lose. So, now, the question is, did the daughter hear from the very beginning, I would like, if you're willing, or did she hear that you think it's right for her to do the room? How do we get across now that it is, in fact, I would like if you're willing? So that the person now trusts that we're not saying the old messages. Well, first of all, if we've already heard, they may be suspicious for a while. You'll know they're suspicious for a while if you get certain jackal response, responses back. I would like, if you're willing, then I tell them, Yes, mein Führer. <laughs> uh, they believe that this is just a jackal trying to sneak into giraffe's clothing, you see. <laughs> Even though I'm now practicing another language. They don't know yet that I have really graduated. They think that this could be a sneaky jackal in giraffe's clothing. And in fact, I'll tell you the truth, I'd rather you go back and be your true jackal self. At least I know what I'm dealing with then. Don't pull any of that giraffe business on me. Yeah, because now they're still worried that you still, it's your objective to get what you want. As long as that's your objective, you can't get it. See, they, now, it may not have. You may have changed. Now you know as a giraffe, it's never your objective to get what you want from other people. It's only your objective to get what both people want. always a giraffe's objective. Not to get what I want, it's to get what we both want. It's only when the other person trusts that I value their needs equal to my own that I have any power with that person. This is the central difference between power over, jackal power. That's easy to get. All you got to do is be able to make the other person suffer if they don't do what you want. But giraffe power, power with, I only have that to the degree to which the other person trusts that I am equally interested in their need fulfillment as my own. When they trust that I know I can't benefit at their expense and that I have no desire to. It's only when they trust I believe firmly enough in what I'm asking for that I don't have to use fear, guilt, or shame-inducing tactics. When they trust all of that, then they can hear that that's just my request. But this might be new on my part, so they may not trust it yet. Yeah. All right. Would, would this be jackal's child says, oh, yeah, 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 later, Ma, later. Yeah, 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 later. And then... That's a jackal's way of saying no. Yeah. So then it's like an out-and-out out, no. 
Well, that means the same thing. It means that, it, notice that energy. You know, yes, mind pure. Who was your slave in your prior incarnation? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or this even more jackless tendency. Watch this one. <laughs> See, all of these reactions tell us that this person is burdened because they're having to protect the most precious thing that each of us has, our autonomy. That is so difficult when that's under pressure. My God, we'll fight to the death if we have any source of humanness left in us. None of us wants to do things because we're forced to do it. So that's what I mean by loving the life in the know. Be happy that this person is not doing it. Because when people do it, and they don't look inside to see that they're doing it in spite of themselves, everybody pays. That's why in giraffe we really mean it. Please do this only if you are willing. We all suffer unless everybody is doing things simply because they want to, because they see how it contributes to life. Yes. So you mean that we should say, only do your homework if you want to. I'm not saying what you should say, you see, because if I tell you what you should say, my guess is you'll have trouble accepting it. So I'm offering you something that I'd say, you see. I would say, what, how did you put that about the homework? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that if I was a giraffe, because I'm still telling them what to do. See? I'm still thinking that I'm the person whose job it is to tell them what to do. And, and personally, that wouldn't meet my needs for them just to do the homework if they want to. The other thing about that, you see, as a giraffe, I know that people never do anything except what they want. So that's kind of superfluous. Uh, I don't think anybody ever does anything except what they want. The only difference is jackals lie about it. They say, oh, I didn't want to do it. Why did you do it? They made me do it. I had to do it. Superior's orders. Company policy. See, there's, there's no responsibility for actions in jackal language. But a giraffe-speaking person knows that each moment, each of us does only what we want. In this sense, giraffe is not introducing anything new into the universe. People, as long as they've ever been around, don't do anything except what they want. <coughs> you use the example that he was just speaking of. Let's say the child isn't doing their homework. Yep. And there's a giraffe person in the room. Yep. What would that conversation look like? Well, even before the conversation starts, it must... If my objective is to get the child to do the homework, I've lost already. Well, what would the giraffe's objective be? to make a connection with this person, a giraffe dance. You like to dance, you giraffes like to dance, and there's a certain kind of giraffe dance that goes empathy, honesty, empathy, honesty. And giraffes really like that dance because they believe miracles can come out of that dance. That when we really connect with people in a certain way, any kind of conflict can be resolved without fear, without guilt, without shame. So we trust that dance. We go in wanting to dance well. And we trust that we may come out with the person doing what we want for reasons that we want. There's no force on it. They're doing it willingly because they see the purpose. Or we come out of it valuing a messy room. <laughs> now, now what used to be painful to us after the giraffe dance, wow, I love this room this way. 
What creative architecture. Oh, isn't this fantastic? Maybe, maybe. See, we don't know, but we know that as a giraffe, we know that if we dance, we'll like wherever we end up. Yeah. Okay, Ben, what you're saying, in this situation that we're talking about, the homework, Yeah. Uh, the mistake we're making is that we're interested in the task being done rather than um, entering into a conversation with the child where they're at while they're not doing it. I think we're, I think we're on the same wavelength. Where they are that they're not doing it. You're getting behind why it's not being done. I'm trying to form the kind of connection with this person that I feel is conducive to working out whatever differences we have. That's all. I want to form a quality of connection so that that's my primary objective, the quality of the connection. And then I trust that if that quality is of a certain source where all of our energies don't go into defending each other, violating each other, when we're really safe and we really trust that each has the other person's well-being at mind, then I know that this is going to get resolved. I have no doubt about it. But I don't go in there thinking that that's got to be that they're going to study. Because quite honestly, one time when I came out of this with my 14-year-old, I really saw that for him at that time, he wanted to get out of that place that he was in. He wanted to do something else. So in that case, he chose to do other things for a while. Now he's getting his doctor's degree, but because at that time he saw that he wanted it later on. You see. But in that case, it really came out and I heard what he was up against and why he wanted out of there, and I supported that. I don't know where it's going to come out, but I know if we get there in a certain process, we'll both like it. But it has to do with focusing on the person and the task. It has to be clear about our values, is how I would say it. You see. <coughs> what quality of connection do I value making with people? Do I value people as an equal? If so, then does my behavior demonstrate that when I'm with my children? You see. Now, that doesn't mean that I think we have equal knowledge or equal strength, but do I, do I really value treating people as equal? Well, then how do I do that with this person who's age 5 or, or 12? Do I value the use of violence for people to get their way? So, it's for me just being consistent with my values of how I would like people to treat me. So that's what I see it being. That when that's really what I value, that quality of our connection and trust that if it's of a certain sort, then I trust wherever the conflict goes. Yeah. What about with a teacher and a student? Mm -hmm. It depends. If a teacher wants to increase the percentage of people who would do it, I would certainly say if you're willing, because the quickest way I know to decrease it is to demand it. First of all, the students already know that they don't have to do it. No matter what you say, they know that, you, that they don't have to do it. A principal of a school in St. Louis, he got upset with me when I said that people just do what they want. And he got very angry with that. He said, that's not true. That you, don't, you cannot do what you want in this state. Children must come to school until they are age 16. They have no choice. 
Well, the faculty laughed when he said that. <laughs> As they said they did every day when he gets on the loudspeaker, because in that, the reason I was asked to work in those schools is that those schools had a 30% or greater unexplained absent rate each day. And now here is the principal saying over the loudspeaker every day, you cannot choose whether to come to school or not. And the, the people that needed to hear it weren't there. <laughs> so, so uh, no, especially when I have the following labels on me, teacher, parent, boss, especially if the other person sees me that way, it's very important for me to alert them very quickly, hey, I am not a jackal. Hey, I am not a jackal. I have no desire to claim that I know what you have to do, what you should do, what is right for you to do. As a human being, I'd be most happy to share with you those things which are precious to me. I'd be glad to share my values, but only when I have your permission. Now, why do I put it that way? Because I find then I have almost no resistance to people wanting to hear what I have to say. But as long as they see me as the father, parent, teacher, probably their experiences in the past with such creatures is not so comfortable that they're going to be very safe. Because very often they, they've been with people who once they have those titles claim to know what's right. Claim to believe that because of those titles they know better than the other person what's good for them. And then I usually find that people don't feel too safe around people who think that way. To really make the choice, of course, is a brand new idea to people who have been raised in Jackalville. In Jackalville, everything is done to, to obscure from people that they have any choice. You know, they hear it over and over again, I want, I want, I want. Who cares what you want? Life is not a matter of doing what you want. There are just certain things you have to do whether you want to do it or not. Should, ought, must. So, yes, if you live in Jackalville, uh, it's not easy to know what you want. You've not had much experience in expressing it. Yes? How did I get those things in my mind? The jackal and the giraffe? Uh, the jackal came from outer space. I was driving with a woman uh, to a workshop. Uh, and she said, would you mind working on my relationship with my husband while we drive? <laughs> I admired this woman's stick-to-itiveness because I had been staying at her house and every day she wanted to work on that relationship. So I was in a playful mood and I said to her, you're not tired working on that jackal? And she thought that was the funniest thing she'd ever heard. Don't ask me where that came from. I had never used the word before. You're not tired working on that jackal? And she thought, oh, yes, that's just what he is, a jackal. Oh, yes. So that day, I, with her laughter still in my ears, I said to the group, instead of starting as I usually do, is there somebody at the moment who's doing something you don't like? And then we see how to speak giraffe with that person. That day, I said, do any of you know a jackal? And everybody knew a jackal. <laughs> I was amazed. Everybody knows a jackal. And then I said, would you like to learn how to tame a jackal today? Everybody wanted to know how to tame a jackal. So for the first time that day, I decided to present how to tame a jackal. I never thought I'd do it again. 
and I probably wouldn't have except that some woman who was there, she enjoyed the day. She bought me this as a memento. So I thought to myself, well, the next child I meet will have a nice present. And I put it in my suitcase. But the next town, I still remember how much fun people had with the jackal. So I said, do any of you know a jackal? Everybody knew a jackal in that town, too. <laughs> wow. So, and then I remembered this thing in my suitcase. And then I found out that this looked like all of their jackals. <laughs> and then I thought, well, wouldn't it be fun to have a partner to this that kind of represented the other side of things? What animal? I picked a duck. I picked a duck. The duck turned into a giraffe in Sweden. I'll tell you that in a minute. But I picked the duck to go with the jackal. Why a duck? Because when my children were young, I would take them to the pond to feed ducks. And they had a wonderful look on their face. You couldn't tell who was getting fed. You, you would have sworn that the children were being fed. But you see, this is what I really believe human beings are like when we're really functioning as human beings. We get as much joy giving as other people do receiving. That's what keeps the world together in spite of all of the crazinesses. But that's really the most fun when you really get down to it. So I use duck language to represent that communication which helps us to get to that place with each other where we can enjoy giving and receiving with the same joy that children feel feeding a hungry duck. So I had this duck and I was very happy with my duck until I went to Sweden a couple of years ago and uh, they wanted to do a videotape of my work. And the director said, you know, you need a stronger looking figure for compassion and nonviolence than your duck. Your duck looks like it's about to get eaten at any minute by that jackal. <laughs> and yeah, I said, that did bother me. You know? And I don't want anybody to think of nonviolence or compassion as weak. So now what animal? So I went down to Canada next. I had one month to find an animal. And I'm into a toy store. Oh, I'm looking all over the place at these different animals, trying to imagine them on the video, trying to imagine how I could weave them into my, my workshop. And I'm trying them, and I imagine them with the jackal. And this is taking me longer than I realized. And the toy store owner is getting worried about me. Because <laughs> all of a sudden, she's standing over me, saying very nervously, are you looking for a young child or for an older child? <laughs> I said, well, to tell you the truth, I was looking for myself. <laughs> and she says, that's quite all right. <laughs> but her eyes got very large. And, uh, I thought she might be happier if I left. So I left without finding an animal. And I'm glad I did because I shortly thereafter heard about the giraffe project. This is a project that each month honors a citizen somewhere in the world that sticks their neck out in the service of compassion. The kind of person we all know, that you don't hear about them in the newspapers, but they're really sticking their necks out all the time for other people. And so this project tries to find such people and advertise their efforts so that we don't just hear about violence in the news. And they picked the giraffe because of its vision. See, it has this vision that can help it to see whether what we're doing now is an ecologically unsafe strategy. The giraffe can see that punishment never works. Never works. They can see the consequences. Giraffes have the largest heart of any land animal. They have to pump the blood a long way to get it up to the brain. And the language of giraffe that 
that I feel is conducive to conflict resolution is the language of the heart. See, when we speak giraffe, we only reveal our feelings. We only reveal our needs, our requests. We don't evaluate the other person. We don't judge, criticize. Our evaluation, our value judgments are only in terms of our feelings, our values. That's a language of heart. And the giraffe lives its life with this wonderful combination of gentleness and strength, that combination. So you see, to speak giraffe requires a lot of strength to assert what you want. As I said earlier, a giraffe says, I would like you to. Nothing passive about it. I would like you to. We're very clear, very direct. Here's my value. I would like you to. But we say in word and deed, if you are willing. That's the gentleness. We don't want people to do things out of fear, guilt, shame. So if you are willing, please don't do it until you are willing because you see how it will contribute to life. Don't do anything until you can see how it contributes to life. Don't do things for rewards. Don't do things to escape punishment. Don't do things for approval. Do things only when you see how it contributes to life. Yeah. What The problem there is timing, you see. If somebody's behaving in a way that I really don't like, and I really want, and I want to express my value judgments to them, before I express my value judgment in giraffe, I first need to show the other person that I love what they're doing. No, but then, see, I'm saying that is, if I really want to get the person to hear my values, I must show them a certain quality of love for what they're doing. A certain quality of love that I call empathy. Until the person feels that I totally empathize with what they're doing, it's going to be very hard for them to hear my values. Because when people feel that there's any criticism or lack of understanding of why they're doing what they're doing, all of their energy goes into defending it. So, it's a, whether it's a three-year-old beating a one-and-a-half-year-old, or whether it's a Nazi wanting to firebomb the house of immigrants, these are situations that I'm working with people who are very concerned about this kind of behavior, you see. People who want to firebomb people who are Jews or blacks or immigrants. This, this movement is rising rapidly uh, throughout uh, the... Uh, Europe, uh, somebody even, I, I had a nightmare the other night, I even read that somewhere one of their clan had run for a public office in the United States, but that, mu <laughs> but that must have been a nightmare. I, that couldn't be happening. Uh, so, again, if I really want such a person to share my views, 
I must begin by giving total empathy for what they're doing. And until I do that, I'll probably just contribute to the violence. With the puppet? Yes, I'd be glad to. One time uh, here in Ohio, uh, people wanted me to show them how to empathize with Hitler, so we have that on video also. Um, so we want the three-year-old, the three-year-old, or the uh, the uh, the the Nazi. Way, it it's the same thing. It's the same. <laughs> A three-year-old. Okay. And Saddam Hussein. <laughs> <laughs> I'm soon going to have as much uh, success playing Saddam Hussein as Hitler. That's probably, he's probably the second most frequent uh, person requested for this uh, creature to play. Um, so I'm, I now come to the act of this person beating on this person or hitting and so forth. You, you're just a brat. You shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. Now, I use a tactic in giraffe we call the protective use of force. You see, if somebody is, is behaving in a way that is against my values, and it doesn't seem to me that we can negotiate about this, I mean there's not enough time or something, as a giraffe I'm prepared to use force, so I, I hold this person off of the other person. But I make sure that I don't use punitive force, that I don't slap, and that I don't verbally attack to say you shouldn't do that, what's wrong with you, because the more violence I direct to this person, physically or psychologically, the more likely it will show up in continued violence toward this other creature. So if I really want to protect this creature, the best way I can do is to make sure this person in no way thinks I want to make them suffer. Because that's what makes people violent. If they think other people are going to make them suffer, they learn a pattern of violence. So we want to get rid of this real quick. So. I want to be sure I don't perpetuate it. I was sitting in a school in uh, San Francisco with a friend of mine who is the principal. He looks out the window and he jumps up. He says, excuse me, Marshal, and he races out to the playground. He grabs this child and swats him and says, I'll teach you not to hit smaller people. <laughs> we should have had the television camera on that one. That's a funny one. So he comes in and... Uh, Fortunately, I have a good enough relationship with this person that I, I could tease him a bit and I'd say, you know, I, I don't believe you taught that child what you said you were teaching the child. In fact, I thought you were teaching exactly what you said you didn't want. He said, what? I said, it looked to me like you were teaching him that if you want something from somebody smaller than you, use punishment to get it. The thing I think you taught that child to do is check to see if the principal's watching before you do it. I, don't, I think you just increase the likelihood that he will use punitive force to get his way. But he'll probably be smarter, at least look around and see if you're around. But see, uh, it's so deeply ingrained that just a good swat or two will solve the problem. You see. Hard to, he's this man, when he stops for a few moments, he can see that punishment's never going to get him what he wants. But he didn't stop for a moment or so. So, you're really angry with her. Yes, she shouldn't be in this house. Just take her somewhere else. You really hate it to have her here. Yeah, she's ugly. 
You don't like her anyway at all. You don't like her looks. You don't like her being here. Yeah. Now I have greatly reduced the possibility of continued violence because I showed understanding of this person's feelings. The more understanding this person gets for their feelings, the less likely they are to be violent to other people. Now, I don't have to stop there. I can still go on and try to sell this person on nonviolence as a way of life. But I have already greatly decreased the likelihood of violence toward this other person. So, not too long ago, I was with a man, apparently didn't know my heritage, or he probably wouldn't have said what he did, but he made a rather blatant anti-Semitic remark. I said, sounds like you've had bad experience with Jewish people. Oh, he says, they're all greedy. They'd rob their grandmother for a dime. So it sounds like you really feel disgusted with them, and you'd really like people to have some different values than that. And then before I knew it, he was off of Jews, and he was on to black people. And, then, <laughs> and uh, so he just seemed to have a lot of pain, and so I kept my attention on his feelings, on his needs. And then all of a sudden, you could just feel, he, he just seemed lighter. And then I said, you know, I feel very sad. Uh, you and I have had quite different experiences with different people, and uh, I'd like to share with you some experiences I've had, if you're interested. You see, I wanted to let him know he and I apparently had quite different experiences, and how could this happen? So, But the first step was for me to hear the pain that he was carrying. Then he was more open to hearing what I had to say. But now that's not easy for me to do because um, my primary language was jackal. You see, so I can put these jackal ears on real quick, you see. So. As soon as I have these jackal ears on, I, I handle the situation quite differently. You know, you know, I pull this child off and I say, what's the matter with you? Don't you know she's only a year and a half old? Because when I have these ears on, I want this person to think that he or she is bad for what they're doing. Because when I have these ears on, I believe that people are basically evil until they learn to be better by moral people like you and me, and I worry about you. <laughs> so I've got to show this child the evil in this child. This child is bad for hitting the other person. Oh, now don't jackal yourself for saying that, because if you jackal yourself and you think you shouldn't jackal, then it'll go on another, another century. No, we got to just enjoy the jackal in us. <laughs> Yeah. I'm thinking about all of us going home and starting to practice our giraffe talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Confusion. I mean, it's going to be a happy confusion, but how do we live in this kind of inconsistency? Don't we have to fess up and say, this is something new that, that I'm bringing here. Let's give it a try. Boy, I like your optimism that you're going to bring it to the family and they're going to be excited. <laughs> We, we needed you in Zurich, Switzerland about six weeks ago. Four, we had a weekend workshop, Saturday, Sunday, and four women came in the first morning, Sunday morning after Saturday. They had catastrophic experiences. They went home and said to their husbands in perfect giraffe, 
I'm so excited about this new way of communicating that I've seen, and, and I just can't wait for us to learn this together. <laughs> you wasting your money on a bunch of that crap? And then the women got discouraged, and I say, why did you get discouraged? Well, we just told you how our husbands reacted. Yeah, I said, but what about putting on the giraffe ears? Oh, they said, we forgot. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, if ever you need giraffe ears, if ever you need giraffe ears, it's when you are... You are... If ever you need giraffe ears, it's when you pour your heart out to somebody. You really open up and make yourself vulnerable. You know, I found something very valuable to me, and I'm just very eager for us to learn this. It'll really help our communication. There's nothing wrong with my communication. I communicate well with everybody but you. Thank God I got these giraffe ears on, because if I didn't have these giraffe ears on, and this person says, you know, you're the one with the problem, I start to feel like P, 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 T. Piss poor protoplasm, poorly put together. <laughs> no, so that's why I carry these ears. Cause I get a lot of people talking to me this way. A lot of people think they know what's wrong with me. So if I don't have these ears on, I start to believe in it. Or I start giving them the power to push my button. And then I start saying jackless things back, like you got your head so far up your rectum, you'd need a cellophane navel to see. <laughs> Give you a little Detroit jackal air. Uh... <laughs> Cultural exchange. <laughs> yes, if the, you, you got piss poor protoplasm fully put together in that last one. Uh, uh, from Detroit, that's uh, from my neighborhood in Detroit. So I'm glad to have giraffe ears when I'm around such a person because then they don't dampen my excitement of life. Because then if I have the giraffe ears and the person say, you're the one that has the problem, I don't have the problems with anybody but you. I don't want to get into a fact-finding mission and say, oh yeah, what about the last three partners that left? Uh, or something like that. Oh, no. That's jackal ears getting involved in arguments. No. With giraffe ears, all I hear is pain and an unmet need. There are no jackals when I have these ears. As soon as I put these ears on, jackals cease to exist. And I'm conscious that jackals are simply illiterate giraffes. <laughs> yeah. When you said that the other night, someone said, why don't we change that word, un, un, um, illiterate? Uh, illiterate giraffe, to illiterate giraffe? I like that, too. I like that, too. <laughs> so, you're the only one that has the problem. I don't have a problem. So are you feeling hurt because you heard what I said as a criticism and you'd like me to acknowledge your communication skills? Well, see, as a giraffe, I only hear two things. I just hear feelings and possible needs. So I'm hearing if this person said, I don't have any problems, you're the one with all the problems. I'm guessing this person feels hurt that they feel that somehow I'm questioning their communication skills and, and they want me to acknowledge their ability to communicate. That may not be right. With these ears on, I don't necessarily know what the other person is feeling or needing, but I try to connect. 
I try to connect with feelings and needs. I don't hear any judgments because they don't exist when I have these ears. I'm aware that all judgments are tragic expressions of needs. This, this person isn't foolish enough to go around communicating that way. If they really knew giraffe, they'd never say a thing like that. Why would anybody speak when they're in most pain in a way almost guaranteed to be as violent? See, most people don't realize that unexpressed hurt, unexpressed fear, almost always is misinterpreted by the other as a form of violence. So when we're really scared and hurt, this is what we say, you see. You're the one with the problem. Isn't that tragic? Here's a person that's really hurt, really needs some attention to his needs for appreciation. Isn't that tragic that the only way this person knows how to say it is to put it in the form of a judgment? But no problem unless I believe the judgment. If I have giraffe ears, there's no problem. I hear the hurt. I hear the need for recognition for his ability to communicate. That doesn't mean I have to give it to the person. I don't have to do what the person wants with these ears. These ears just teach me to connect with the other person's feelings and needs before reacting. So that's why I start with understanding this person's feelings and needs. So you really hate to have the baby around and you'd really like her to be gone. Yeah. And I stay with understanding these feelings until the child feels understood. But now I want some understanding. I really feel afraid that the baby could be hurt, and I'd like you to come to me and tell me if you're angry without hurting her. Could you tell me what you said, what I said? I'm only three. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm scared that, uh, that the baby could be hurt. Could you tell me what I, was, what I said? You love the baby more than me. Person really got jackal ears, you see. That's it. That's how jack people with jackal ears hear things. And I'd like to say it again because that isn't what I'm trying to say. I'm saying I'm scared that the baby might get hurt. Can you tell me what I said? You're scared the baby might be hurt. Yeah. And I'd feel safer if you talked to me about your feelings. If you're angry, you'll spank me. So you're afraid of telling me your feelings. Yeah, but I hate her. Yeah, you really hate her a lot. Yeah, it was better here before she came. Yeah, you really remember the times when we were together and you really liked that. Yeah. Why did you have to go and get her? So you're really disappointed. You really wish that it was just you and me and, and Mommy. Yeah. for knowing the other person well I feel sometimes that I don't want to repeat what I see in the other person like you did because um, um, thinking I'm invading the person wanting to be seen as vulnerable you know I mean? yes you're saying that culturally and politically with some people you can see that they might not be used to this reflection back and they might uh, misinterpret it as a uh, football coach did once in, uh, that I was working with. He said, don't pull any of that psychology crap on me. <coughs> so I did it again. <laughs> Silently. You see, it, for this to be powerful doesn't mean we have to say it out loud. It's at the very moment that I turn my attention to what is this person feeling. 
So when he says, don't pull any of that psychology crap on me, I turn my attention to what is he feeling when he says that. 